0: Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones.
1: Building in faith. We get into a conflict, into some war, and then we say, God, come and help me fight my battles. Battle the battle's yours, Lord, now. No, no, no. We should be living our life understanding that we are in spiritual warfare and we should be about the Father's business like Jesus was. And when we get about the Father's business, we will find ourselves fighting His battle. Reaching
0: up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives As Pastor Ed continues with his teaching series through the book of Joshua, he'll be encouraging us to take spiritual battles more seriously. The first step we need to take is to truly understand that even though we don't see the enemy at work, he's unfortunately very active in the world today. Since Satan can't hurt God, he goes after his children. As Christians, we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. It would be silly of us to try and fight these spiritual battles in our own strength. Now, here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, From the Agony of Defeat to the Joy of Victory.
1: Joshua chapter eight, I'm going to read just the first eight verses, and I'm going to read them from the New Living Translation. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the entire army and attack Ai. For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep the captured goods and the cattle for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the army of Israel set out to attack Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders, hide in an ambush close behind the city and be ready for action when our main army attacks the men of Ai will come out to fight as they did before and we will run away from them we will let them chase us until they have left the city for they will say, the Israelites are running away from us as they did before. Then you will jump out from the ambush and take possession of the city. For the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the city on fire as the Lord has commanded. You have your orders. Someone asked the question, what is defeat? Nothing but an education. Nothing but the first step To something better. What is a defeat? Nothing but an education. Nothing but the first step to something better. The title of the message is From the Agony of Defeat to the Joy of Victory. I have a volume in my library given to me by my father-in-law. A volume of sermons by F. W. Robertson. He was one of the great preachers of the 19th century. And one of his texts was taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I want to read Philippians three thirteen in the New Living Translation. It says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, on a sermon based on this text... F.W. Robertson said this, Life, like war, is a series of mistakes. And he is not the best Christian nor the best general who make the fewest false steps. Poor mediocrity may secure that. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. Forget mistakes organize victories out of mistakes that's great and that's what chapter eight is all about in the book of joshua they had a terrible defeat they were routed by the army of the people of Ai. they had casualties they were running fear dismay, discouragement swept across the israelite army but god said wait a minute Stop, get your house in order, and let's go back. Let's go back. Someone wisely said, when you fall, pick up something. Whenever you fall, pick something up. When you make a mistake, when you fail, when you fall, don't stay there. Pick something up after you've fallen. Learn something from that experience. Charles Kettering, a great inventor, Said, we must learn to fail intelligently. What a concept. Fail intelligently. He goes on to give this advice. He says, once you've failed, analyze the problem, find out why. Because each failure is one more step leading up to a cathedral of success. The only time you don't want to fail is the last time you try. That's good. And he goes on to give these three suggestions from turning failure into success. He says, honestly face defeat. Never fake success. Honestly face defeat. Never fake success. Never do that. Somebody comes and says, you've failed here. And all of a sudden, what do you do? Cover up. No, no, no. Him, him, her, her not me. Honestly face defeat. Secondly, exploit the failure. Don't waste it. Learn all you can from it. That's good advice. And thirdly, never use failure as an excuse for not trying. Let the Holy Spirit give us wisdom to take our failures and to let those failures give birth to success, to victories. This land was a land that God had given them, a land that they were to conquer. But they had failed, and failed terribly at this point. story is told about Andrew Jackson, one of, our, one of the great generals and presidents of the United States. His boyhood friends couldn't understand how he succeeded, how he became a great general and then president of the United States. And they were having a conversation. And they said, uh, why, Jim Brown, who lived right down the pike from Jackson, not only was smarter, but he could throw Andy three times out of four. But look where Andy is now, responded another. How did there happen to be a fourth time? Usually it's three times and you're out, isn't it? Sure, but not so with Andy. He would never admit that he was beat. He would never stay throwed. So by and by, Jim Brown would get tired, and the fourth time, Andrew Jackson would throw him and be the victor. The place of failure. God wants to turn it into a place of victory in your life. The place where you've known defeat again and again. God doesn't want you to hang a sign out there and just write failure. No, he wants you to learn something from it. There are three principles that I want to draw from this text and I want you to give your attention to this morning. The first is the battle must be fought for God. The battle must be fought for God. In 1 Samuel 7.14, Jonathan challenges the enemy. But he knows that God is leading him. And he says this. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Now Jonathan was King Saul's son and he was busy fighting the Philistines. And he said the battle is the Lord's. You know what most of the time we do? We get into a battle and then we invite God in we get into a conflict into some war and then we say God come and help me fight my battles battle the battle's yours lord now no 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 we should be living our life understanding that we are in spiritual warfare And we should be about the Father's business like Jesus was. And when we get about the Father's business, we will find ourselves fighting his battle. Because we've been praying, thy kingdom come. And God is giving us his agenda for the kingdom. And he's sending us out to fight. In Joshua's encounter, when he went out to survey the walls of Jericho in Joshua chapter 5... Do you remember the theophany, the encounter with God that he had? He saw this man with a drawn sword, ready for battle. And in Joshua chapter 5, it reads, uh, Joshua was near Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? God's reply Neither, neither. See, Joshua, it's not a question of whose side I'm on. It's a question of whose side you're on. The battle is the Lord's. Don't create your own battles. You've been enlisted into his army. Let him direct you into the warfare that you need to fight. Joshua, first of all, I notice in chapter 8 and in the uh, context of chapter 7 that God would not let them win the battle at Ai. In chapter 7, they lost. And I believe there's a principle there. God's battle must be fought with a pure heart. Remember, Achan went and saw that beautiful Babylonian garment and some silver coins and a gold wedge and He took it for himself. God said, everything was to be devoted to me. God said, Jericho is the first fruits of the land. It's mine. It's not yours. You're to destroy everything, and the wealth is to go into the temple. Achan took what belonged to God. He took what was dedicated to God, and because his heart wasn't pure. See, God wanted all of Israel to know. That this war was a holy war. It wasn't like barbarians running into the land and plundering it and taking all that they could for themselves. No, it was a war directed by God, a holy battle. And God wanted praise out of this conflict. He wanted his name glorified through the capture of Jericho. I want to ask you a question. Why do we do what we do? Now, we may start off with the right motives, but sometimes our garments become soiled and our hearts stained with selfish sin as we get into the battles. Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve in the church? Why do you come and worship in this place? Why do you teach Sunday school or help out in the ministry or why are you involved in, in, in sharing the gospel with others? What's the motivation? Why are you a parent? Why do you work at the job that you work? You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. Everything we do should be for one purpose, to glorify God. Whether you're in school, studying. Whether you're at work, working. Whether you're a parent and you're parenting your children. Our life is not to be lived for some selfish ambition, but rather for the very purpose of bringing glory to God. If what you do is for yourself, it's wrong so little the time sometimes we look within easily we slip into those base motives of doing what we do we ought to have times of introspection where we allow the Holy Spirit of God to search our hearts and check our motives we might go to God and say God are my actions right are my attitudes right are my motivations right Because in the pursuit of victory, in the pursuit of the battle, our character is being made. What's happening to the Jews as they fight this battle is God is purging them, God is forming them, God is shaping them, God is molding them. And as we go through life, the battles, the conflicts, all of the things that happen to us are for a purpose. That the image of God would be seen in us. That Christ would be seen in and through you. And so when we're doing things for God's glory and we're living for God's glory, we're going to be conformed to His image. And so they, had a, they fought with a pure heart. I noticed something else. Clean hands. In Psalm 24, 3, the psalmist David asked this question: Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? He that had clean hands and a pure heart. Now remember, these people were seeking their destiny. God gave them promises. God Encouraged them, opened up the Jordan River, sent them to Jericho. He told them, here's where you're to go. This is what you're to do. They were following their destiny. They were following the promises. They were following God's counsel. But what happened? The promise didn't work. There's an incredible principle here. The promises don't work in unclean hands. There was sin in the camp. God even had said to Joshua, Joshua, I'll be with you. Joshua, I'll be with you. And again and again, he gave them this promise, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you, Joshua. But then all of a sudden, God says to Joshua, I'll no longer be with you. An unclean life, a rebellious heart, sinful hands, can't take the promises of God and utilize them. And so, We must recognize that the battle is the Lord's. And it must be fought with a pure heart. It must be fought with clean hands. I like the words of Joseph Parker, a great preacher back in the 20th century, 19th century. He said, God's purpose is to prove that right is might. That without character, we cannot do his work. Not spotless character, which may be impossible under the present conditions, but character that is intensely earnest, set in the right direction, aspiring after continual perfectness. That's a quote right out of Joseph Parker. What he was saying is this, that God is concerned about not only accomplishing a task But the people that accomplished that task, he was head and shoulders above all the Israelites. He was a warrior. His name was Saul. Skilled warrior. The challenge came out from Goliath. Is there anyone in Israel ready to fight me? The natural candidate was Saul. But because Saul's heart had harbored rebellion, and his hands had not willingly obeyed God, Saul could never fight Goliath. But a boy, just a young man, David, whose heart was pure, whose hands were clean, could challenge the giant and fell Goliath. That was true in David and Saul's life. It's true in all of Israel's history. If you look at the history of Israel, whenever they were in fellowship and communion with God, they could fight their enemies. They could watch the giant walls of Jericho fall. But when out of communion with God, even a small community like I would send them scurrying away. There's only one way for you to face the battles that you encounter in life. Spiritual battles and conflicts. It's with a pure heart and with clean hands. It's fighting under orders of the king. Second point the battle plan must come from God. Again and again in the life of David, the great spiritual warrior, David said this He inquired of the Lord. In Uh, chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, he inquired of the Lord saying, shall I I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go and attack the Philistines and save Kalilah. Again and again you find David inquiring of the Lord. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us this, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. We are in a battle. Can you imagine our soldiers now in Iraq just sitting back and relaxing? No, they're constantly alert. They're watching for a surprise attack. A civilian that may really be a soldier. They're constantly alert. He told us, Peter told us, to live our lives recognizing that there's a real spiritual warfare going on. Satan doesn't want to see you succeed. Satan doesn't want you to have a good marriage. Satan doesn't want you to fulfill God's purposes in your life. We need to be wise and recognize there's a spiritual battle going on. And we need to know God's plans. Now, it's interesting. Make a comparison between Jericho and I. At Jericho, God said, march around the walls for seven days. And the last day, march around it seven times. Blow the trumpets. The walls are going to fall down. Look at the battle plan here. Completely different. God says to them, no, plan an ambush. Plan some special maneuvering. Sometimes Christians make the tragic mistake And think that every battle that they face is the same. Well, brother, so and so he fought his battles this way. This is—you got to get before God. You got to seek His wisdom and His direction. Sometimes, what we wind up doing is we just expect things are always going to be the same. We're going to fight every battle the same. Listen, someone's unsaved husband, unsaved wife may have been saved through their persistent prayer, saved at a concert or saved in some different way. Maybe your spouse isn't saved, your husband or wife isn't saved, or your child isn't saved. You need to hear God's specific plan to you how to reach them. Maybe you're facing some battle in your life, some spiritual conflict some problem you're facing, some anxiety that's plaguing your life, whatever that situation must be, come and lay it before God and say, God, give me a strategy. I remember Iris, she spoke to our Samuel prayer ministry. She's a real prayer warrior. She listens to God's voice. Iris shared how her daughter was rebellious. She is a minister. Her daughter was raised up in a Christian home, and the daughter just turned away from God, didn't want to follow God at all. And what happened was, Iris wanted to preach to her all the time. And God said, just be quiet. For weeks, for months, for years, she didn't say a word. It was hard for her. She was a preacher. Hard for preachers not to say anything. (laughs) One day, God said, now's the time, Iris. She called her daughter, as I remember the story. And her daughter was ready. She had gone through a crisis. It was just the right time and her daughter broke and returned to the Lord.
0: Building in faith. We want to encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. We know that God's Word never returns void. We've made it really simple. Visit buildinginfaithradio.com and click on today's date. Then you can share today's message on your Facebook page and Twitter feed or even download a copy to share. Again, that's all available at buildinginfaithradio.com. To learn more about Building in Faith or to get a free copy of today's teaching, simply log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. That's buildinginfaithradio.com. Although Building in Faith is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It is our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not... We'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for Worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. Ed Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Joshua right here on Building in Faith.